Welcome to the Stand Student Podcast, where we dive into the most important social, political, economic and environmental issues at home and around the world. Stand is an initiative for third level students and recent graduates across Ireland, supported by Irish Aid. I'm Connor Doyle, and this episode is all about the community and voluntary mental health sector and how they've been coping with COVID-19. In this podcast, I speak to Lee Daly from Childline and Rory Fitzgerald of Samaritans. For this podcast, I wanted to speak to people who work on phone lines or active listening services, as I was told is the proper name. Places like Samaritans, Childline, Pieta House. And I wanted to do this because I'd heard that two things were happening with regards to mental health services and COVID. That demand was up and access was down. A pretty dark combination. And that a lot of the reason for this was people being stuck in their house. Either the services weren't being provided face to face, or they were but with reduced numbers, or people themselves were too afraid to go outside to get treatment, for all the legitimate reasons there is to be afraid to go outside at the moment. So I had the idea to speak to people who provide mental health supports from your house, for free. Hey, how are we getting on, Connor? Hey, how's things? Not too bad, no at all. Good stuff. Welcome to my very professional office, which I may or may not also sleep in. <laughs> Same, there's the bed. Good stuff. This is Lee. How's things And Lee morning? is a volunteer with Childline when he's not being a software engineer or having awkward Zoom banter with me. And Lee is possibly more enthusiastic about his work with Childline than anyone has ever been about a job. How do you find it? What's it like working there? I love it, absolutely. I, I love it. And this year more than ever, I've been so much behind what Chilean is trying to do. Because this I year wanted to know what it's been like for these services. Are they getting more calls? What are people calling about? And what's it been like for the people, like Lee, on the other end of the phone? With COVID, have you seen like an, an uptick in the use of the service? Massive, Connor. Yeah, massive. Uh, at some points, there could be 25 to 30% increase in our contacts across calls online texts and and especially the types of calls we're getting i think if there was maybe a strain in a household pre-lockdowns the way i described it this kind of put a magnifying glass on things what areas have you seen the most increase in calls in probably domestic domestic abuse in the home because and it makes sense because people have spent so much more time in the home and the, that, that ranges from everything you, you really do to have the physical abuse mental abuse um sexual abuse neglect you, you get the range of those and it was so sudden as well you know it was really as soon as the lockdown hit we realized that there was a massive surge and that that was where the areas that are are or young people are or suffering. I also spoke to Rory, regional director and head volunteer of Samaritans Ireland. Rory told me Samaritans hadn't necessarily seen an increase in the number of calls because they were already at their capacity, but that people needed more time on the phone than usual. Call numbers are probably similar, but the content, uh, the conversation is taking up more time. People need more time with us. Okay. Why is that that they need more time? I suppose there's 
lot more anxiety out there with COVID and uh, I think at the moment currently about one in three calls have, have a COVID issue in them so the normal things we talk about are magnified so due to COVID they were getting more callers and more distressed callers I wanted to see if this was reflective of the state of the industry in general I spoke to Fiona Coyle the CEO of Mental Health Reform yeah well I think Covid you know uh, as we all know has impacted all of our lives um, and I think as, as we know also the kind of the, the kind of the, the, the restrictions that have come in the, the isolation the loneliness you know they've increased demands for services and during the initial lockdown period so mental health reform were a membership-based organization so we represent nearly 80 members and the vast majority of those members you know during the first phase of lockdown could not provide the services that they were providing you know face-to-face counseling support and um, group work which um, uh, that, that's really important support to families and carers um, and I suppose we've seen a huge move to online e-mental health platforms. Fiona was talking about people going online for their support, not really phone lines like Childline and Samaritans. And the figures showed this move online too. Jigsaw Youth Mental Health saw a 400% increase in demand for their online services. And the HSE Your Mental Health platform also saw a 400% increase. Many people have pointed out though as the pandemic has rolled on and people have had to go online for counselling and work and even school that online platforms have barriers too. Online platforms like Zoom assumes basic levels of access to technology which isn't a reality for some people. A good laptop, good Wi-Fi connection etc. Phone services by contrast you can call for free as long as you have a working phone. I wondered if for that reason, active listening services had taken on a greater significance. We spoke about Childline and Samaritans just there. And, you know, with the with the difficulty in accessing um, services during COVID, do you think organisations like that have taken on a greater significance? Yeah, like, I, I think, anyway, like, I think the community and voluntary sector it's always been recognized that they they play a really important role um, in the, the delivery kind of mental health supports and services um to to, to individuals across the country um you know there's I, I suppose you know we view kind of like mental health as a kind of almost a continuum and you know the earlier people get support and the type of support that they need i don't know if you can sense a reluctance from fiona to say they've taken on a greater significance but i think i can maybe it's because they're not a clinical service and she doesn't see them as a replacement for a clinical service but this idea of a continuum that she spoke about that's a view that lee shares he thinks childline fits into that continuum do you think that there's maybe a line there of like, you know, contacting Childline, which, you know, allows them to maybe verbalize their thoughts for the first time and then taking the next step and taking the next step and the next step? You're exactly right. That's exactly the, the way that we would see it in that 
you know, and it might take a couple of calls. Maybe the first time they don't tell us necessarily if they have a problem or not. They just come on and have a chat with us, and that's totally fine. You don't need to have a problem. Some people think that, and you don't need to be at the far end of the spectrum to call us. You can call us for whatever. But maybe the first time they just have a chat about sports or, or school, and then maybe they get into really how they're feeling the next call. And then maybe the next call they ring us up, we start to explore if they think they should be feeling that way. Or one thing we like to do is kind of say, you know, if if you clicked your fingers and then things were different for you, how would that look? So we get the young person to start thinking, how do I want things to be? And then you kind of work backwards from there and how do how would they reckon that they could get there? Because we don't give anyone information as such. We help them to get the inf- information. What we say a lot in Thailand is we empower them to, to do what they need to do. So yes, if they get to the stage where they feel they now understand their feelings enough, they understand how they want to feel, and they reckon that they have someone in their life that they could speak to that might be able to help them get there, fantastic. Okay, so we've established that this is an important mental health service, and one which seems to have become more important in COVID times. And the service relies fundamentally on volunteers giving their time. So how are these volunteers coping with a pandemic? Rory told me that the volunteers were just regular people with regular jobs and lives, not professionally trained counsellors. I asked them how they usually dealt with difficult calls. If someone is feeling particularly distressed, uh, sorry, a volunteer I mean, um, you know, over uh, maybe a call or, or whatever, is there someone that they can go to, you know, like a, a support officer or anything like that? Right. they could talk to and again say, say somebody came off and they had a very difficult duty on a call and they rang the day leader and they have a conversation for a while or they offload with their fellow volunteer I mean when they go home you know the day leader would check up on them again later to make sure they're okay and they've, they've got through it but I, I, I suppose in fairness we're all so well trained and we've done it you know even newer volunteers obviously that uh, they're learning but uh, that would be very exceptional that somebody would carry it on through uh, you know more than to finish the duty right and then I suppose uh, sorry I suppose I, I should add that it's it's not for it's not for everybody uh, being on the helpline because if you're not able to offload and deal with it yourself so our training system would weed out like we would typically say start a training system with maybe 15 uh, potential volunteers and you'll always find by the end of that training system they'll be down to 10 or 12 because people will discover as they go along in the training I can't do this okay the training weeds out those who aren't fit to take the calls but the training is designed for normal non-apocalyptic times and the calls they take have gotten more frequent and the callers more distressed at a time when likely the volunteers like everyone else in the world are dealing with their own COVID related problems I tried to ask Rory and Lee what it's been like for them working on a phone line in a pandemic. Here's Rory. In, in our training, it's, we're, we're trained that the call is not about us. Right? Mm. So, you know, that's kind of saying don't expect to be thanked. And you won't always be thanked. And you won't always have a call where somebody tells you to Lee humoured my question a little bit more. You know, that was one of the questions that I had, like lockdowns and COVID has been tough on everyone's mental health. And you know, personally, if I was working on phones, dealing with difficult calls, I think I'd feel even worse, but you say it helped you even. 
Massively, yeah, and that's a that's a big fear I think that all of us volunteers when we were starting, we worried, you know, can we leave this at the child line door? And it was definitely personally, it was definitely a fear I had that I wouldn't be able to. But I think it's a testament that the the training that we go through to be on an interaction with a child, it's very long and it goes into it gives us all the tools we need to be able to handle those calls. But the one thing I think that the training teaches us about not necessarily fixing the problem that the child has because we're not problem focused we're focused on the child and the emotion so we know that the value we provide is just being able to listen and that even if a child comes on a call with a certain problem and they might have more than likely will still have that problem when they finish the call but because they've been able to explain themselves to us that's where the value is. It might have been that child's first time ever consciously putting out a stream of thought about that, maybe first time saying it out loud. Because in Childline, that's our goal. We want to help the young person feel even a little bit better ending the call as they did when they started. Mm. And if we can do that, that's, that's Childline's job, done to an extent. I don't know if this comes across in the interviews, but both Rory and Lee are completely cut out for this work. I spoke to both of them over Zoom for maybe 20 minutes and I felt intensely listened to, despite the fact that I was the one asking the questions. And because they're like this, almost caricatures of the altruistic volunteer, their focus is less on how all of this has affected them and more on how best to help their callers. But despite Lee and Rory's steely mental fortitude, it has been a tough time for volunteers and the organisations they work for. At the same time that demand for their service increased, everything got more difficult. At the start of the pandemic, Samaritans lost half of their volunteers who had to cocoon for COVID. Workspaces have had to be restructured, social events taken away, they can't hold AGMs or do face-to-face training. Here's Fiona again from Mental Health Reform, talking about the difficulty for these sectors. Um, but our services as well have had to respond and adapt and for many in the community and voluntary sector you know they've been adapting services while at the same time their fundraising have completely plummeted. The topic of funding came up again and again in researching for this story. One online service I contacted, LifeWise, which provide online supports for addiction, had had to close down due to lack of funding and so couldn't participate. I put the question of funding to Rory. Um, has there been any problems with Samaritan's funding? Uh, good question. I suppose just to give you a frame around this, uh, our, our situation is as follows. Uh, we have eight paid staff in Dublin. They're based in Usher's Key. Okay? Okay. 1,500 volunteers. Now, we do get support from the government through the National Office of Suicide, and uh, they pay a figure of about 600,000 which goes to pay some of the staff and also our phone line system because we have to pay up to 100 grand a year towards the phone system uh, to, to make sure it operates, etc. Now, we have 13 branches then that operate as independent branches. They're all companies limited by guarantee, separate, okay, but they, they still form the overall part of, of the organisation. So they, they look after their own funding effectively, each branch. And to run the, the 13 branches is 1.2 million per annum. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm trying to 
trying to get a handle on this year. I, I think we're certainly down 50% of our income in the branches this year. So that's a challenge. Now, we would always, under good governance, have about a year, a year and a half reserves uh, in each branch. And that ensures that we have enough to keep going, certainly for the next 12 months. But we will need to uh, have an emergency appeal, I think, in the first half of next year. The issue of funding in mental health services is not breaking news. What is new, though, is that COVID is making all of this worse. Fiona told me that there was over 10,000 people waiting for primary care psychology services and 2,000 waiting for children and adolescent mental health services. How do we reduce those waiting lists? There's different reasons why the waiting lists are, are as long as they are. I think it's due to decades of underinvestment and deprioritization of our, our mental health system and services. Um, you know, we know that across the country, some of our you know community mental health teams are, are only at like 60-70% capacity. So, you know, we don't have enough staff and the barriers, you know, this isn't something just for the mental health services. We hear this all the time in public discourse around how do we, you know, retain and recruit um, uh, highly skilled people into, into our health services. But, you know, I think a good, uh, a good starting point is, you know, investment. Um, so in budget um, in October, so budget for 2021, there was, you know, there was new money announced. Um, so that's really positive. Um, but we need to, to see that, you know, we need to see ongoing investment year on year. Um, currently, you know, our mental health services, we invest, well, last, this year it's 6% of our overall healthcare budget. But when we look over to the UK, they're 10%. The WHO say we should be investing 12% of our overall healthcare budget into your mental health. Lee told me that for Childline, 90% of their funding comes from the public. And that the public had really rallied around this year in terms of donating. Rory and Fiona also spoke about this wonderful spirit of charity we have in Ireland. And I do think this is something in our cultural psyche and maybe it's a legacy of church collections with this idea of ourselves as charitable givers. And this is great and might say something nice about us. But is it fair? A Benefax study showed that lower income people gave significantly more of their disposable income to charity. And also, without being matched by proper government spending, it doesn't seem to be working for our social problems, be it mental health, housing, etc. In 2020, it was projected that the community and voluntary sector's funding would be down 400 million. That was projected by the WHEEL, an association of community and voluntary organisations. You'd have to wonder how many more mental health services, like Samaritans, will be putting out crisis appeals in the coming year if things continue as they are. Okay, so apart from any potential future crisis appeals, both of these organizations are currently still fully functional. So if anyone is struggling in this, our third lockdown, they can contact both of these organizations, but I will leave it to the experts to explain. Again, as I said, we're 24-7, we're confidential, we don't give advice. 
Our free phone number is 116123. Mm-hmm. We also are contactable by email at joe, that's J-O, And also we have a new uh, self-help app that was launched a few months ago that if people just Google our website, uh, Samaritans Ireland, uh, it'll come up and just put in self-help app and that'll come up there. So that's kind of there to support people who might find it hard to talk on a phone call or wouldn't you know, have the courage to ring us. Um, we're also bringing in web chat next year. Uh, we did have SMS, but that was withdrawn for, for uh, last year. So we will have web chat in next year. If there was anyone listening that wanted to give us a call, I mentioned it before. There's nothing that's too small. There's nothing that's too big to call us about. You can call us about anything. And how you can do that, you can call one 800 you can maybe if you're in a position where you might not be able to talk about it maybe you have to be quiet you're afraid someone will hear you can text talk to 50101 or maybe you prefer to go to thailand.ie and you can start an instant online messaging uh, start a chat and there are three ways you can get in contact and again there's no problem too big or too small i would say just just give it a chance give us a chance and what you have to what you have to lose by just maybe talking about your problem all right, thanks everyone for listening. This podcast was produced by me, Connor Doyle, in conjunction with the Stand team. I'd like to extend a massive thanks to both Lee and Rory for taking the time to speak with me, as well as the Samaritans and Childline for their cooperation. Also, if you want to find out more about the work of Stand, check out stand.ie. Thanks.